137th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. Episode 253 of Pixelated Paranormal. I am Sean, and with me as always is Old Presto. What's up all you cool ghosts and goblins and ghouls and ghoulettes and witches and witchers and crococoons and crocodingos and whatever the fucking else you want to be. <laughs> That's right. It's 2022. You do you. Well, on this episode, it's going to be an easy rider because um, the deeper dive we have planned is finished, but Stephen couldn't be on with us. Um, but little spoiler alert, we have uh, a cornucopia, most likely at least two episodes worth of awesome content from our buddy Isaac um, coming from the far, far away land of Africa. But unfortunately, uh, there was too much to put into the listener story episode. We decided that content could be an episode of its own. And then, like I said, we really just want Steve to be with us to record that. And so we're going to put a little pin in that. But don't you worry. we got some pretty good stuff here. We've got some very interesting reptile-related news and then a very fun cryptid encounter to tack on the end of this episode. But before we get any farther, Presto, anything new or exciting to announce? Yeah, so tonight at Lodge, one of the brothers stopped me and was like, uh, at work, I've been... I've been listening to the show, man, and I have to say it's phenomenal. I really enjoy it. Hmm. And uh, I just got done listening to uh, that, you know, the Jewish box episode. I'm like, the Dybbuk box? Oh, yeah, man, that was really good. And so, Josh, fuck you. you you're like 130 episodes behind, brother. You, you got to catch up. You know what? Don't talk to me until you hit 253. <laughs> Maybe we should start using... Um last name initials with all these Joshes because there are a lot of Joshes that listen. <laughs> yeah. yeah this Josh. Josh knows which one I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, Lodge Josh. Well, let's just get into it, man. You remember last, uh, was it last episode we talked about that uh, cobra, the Egyptian cobra that got loose at Venom Fest in Missouri? Yeah, the Black Mamba. Was it a Black Mamba? I thought it was an Egyptian Fuck, cobra I don't, specifically. I don't know. You know, like a uh, ki- Kill Bill. No, it was an Egyptian cobra is what I'm saying. Trust me. You know, Kill Bill, uh, the most venomous snake was a black mamba. (laughs) So in my head, I'm thinking the most venomous snake got out in this museum. And uh, so that's what we're calling it. Well, Basically, Uma Thurma got out of her cage and was going around biting people. (laughs) Lucky for you, we don't pay you to think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, apparently that's not the only fucking venomous snake that escaped. Um, It's captive uh, captivity uh probably the same week actually so that was back at like what the very uh very end of october i believe well apparently in denmark copenhagen a venomous king cobra has escaped from its home in a swedish zoo and has been on the lamb for six days inside the building where its terrarium is located but it's yet to be recaptured The deadly snake escaped Saturday via a light fixture in the ceiling of the glass enclosure in the Skansen Aquarium as part of the zoo's Jurgarden Island. Park guests who were inside the building where the snakes are located were evacuated, and the zoo later assessed that there are no general risks for employees or guests, and the rest of the zoo could remain open. Holy fuck, I think I might close the entire zoo until you capture the fucker. Yeah, 
But it's also like Sweden, so it's really fucking cold. And if that thing mm-hmm. like gets out and it's not around like a heat source, like it's just gonna fucking die. So <laughs> it's possible. Maybe that's yeah. why it's staying inside a little aquarium building. That's very possible. We have a uh, orc can come out like every three months, and mm-hmm. uh, like two weeks ago, we were moving stuff down in the basement, trying to get ready for some construction upstairs. Mm-hmm. And uh, inside the glue trap was a giant fucking corn snake that got caught. And, oh wow! I mean, I live out in the country, so it happens. Yeah, it happens, do? man. That's very true. And I mean, hell, at our house, we live here in the city, but we have a big, you know, two-acre field next to the house. And it's not uncommon to find a snake in the garage or the hot water heater closet. So, I mean, yeah, that shit can It happen. wasn't a black mamba, I can tell you that. <laughs> Kill yeah. Bill reference number two. Yeah. The park said it did locate the reptile overnight after the escape, and it's still in its confined space near the terrarium. So the staff is now still working to retrieve it. If the snake had gotten outside the building, it would not have survived the cold climate. Aha, Preston, look at you, buddy. The snake's official name is Sir Voss, or Sir Hiss in English. But since its escape, it's been nicknamed Houdini. Ah, clever. The reptile was just moved into that new terrarium right before the escape. King cobras can measure up to 5.5 meters, that's 18 feet long, and mainly live in India and Southeast Asia. The zoo is the home to about 200 exotic species, including fish, corals, crocodiles, turtles, lizards, snakes, naked mole rats, marmosets, golden lion, tamarins, baboons, lemurs, spiders, and parrots. Oh. But anyway, I don't know what the fuck the problem is with these snakes in captivity, but my God, people, yeah. tighten the lids on your terrariums. I got a, I got a hard-hitting question for you. Ugh. Are you ready? This, this, will test our, this will test our friendship. So you and I... Uh, we we make a, a trip to Arizona. You know, there's mm-hmm. like a haunted mine, an abandoned mm-hmm. ghost city. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my belly's rumbling. Uh, we, we went to a, a pub prior to all this, and I had a few Rubens and uh, some okay, room temperature yeah. Guinness. And I'm like, dude, I got to I gotta go drop a load real quick. So I'm uh, <laughs> shitting in the bushes when uh-huh. a rattlesnake jumps up and bites me in the butt cheeks. Ooh. Now we're out in the we're out in the desert, you know, by a ghost town. So there's nowhere uh-huh. close to drive, and the only way I'm going to survive is if you suck the poison out of my ass wound. Mm-hmm. Would you do it for me? Have you wiped? Yes. Let's okay. let's pretend like I let's let's <laughs> yes. I, if if it's a life or death situation, and uh-huh, knowing uh-huh. like well, if you wipe, then yes, I, I I will have wiped the goods off for you. I mean, I know that you have a certain amount of time, so I don't feel like it's too crazy of a request for me to ask you just to polish up the turd cutter a little bit there before I get. I'll even yeah, I'll dude. even say, uh, you know, I had uh, some uh, monkey uh, swamp ass, you know, the baby powder, <laughs> and I went butt ahead. Wipes. And, <laughs> yeah, I, I put some monkey butt on my butt for you to help uh, freshen okay, her up okay. after I wiped off. I I definitely would, man. Without hesitation, Aww. I would just I would get in there. And get the job done, most definitely. Yeah. <laughs> like sucking a you're golf like, ball through a garden hose. <laughs> <laughs> you're just like, well, that makes one of us, fucker. <laughs> nah, I'd do it for you. 
The most you do for me is make a half ass make a half ass cross out of two boards and just shove it in the dirt right next to my dead body. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'd like to do that sometime. My my main question is going to be, you know, am I wearing rubber boots? That's my main focus because, like, I know there's creepy crawlies everywhere. Um, I've been bit by little snakes and stuff like that before, and never a rattlesnake, which we have here in Kansas. Like apparently in El Dorado, where I grew up, my neighbor used to kill him all the time in his backyard, which was adjacent to my parents' backyard. Yeah, and we also have, uh, like, copperheads in Kansas, too. We have tarantulas yeah. in Kansas. Like, shit. Little ones, uh-huh. And scorpions, yeah. too. Holy shit. Yeah. Armadillos. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Shayla and I walked up behind an armadillo once, and we scared it, and it jumped up, like, three feet up in the air, then landed, rolled up to a ball, and kind of just, like, noped the fuck out of our way. <laughs> so we're like we're like the asshole of the United States and so basically everything passes through the asshole. So like <laughs> we get we get it all. We get mountain lions, yep, wildcats. All sorts of wild exotic stuff. We're kinda of like the Copenhagen Zoo of America with all these exotic species. Yeah, except that, you know, it doesn't only gets cold in the wintertime, so we have to wait for all the fuckers to die. Yeah, or they come into your house either way, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, keeping up in snake news, on October 23rd, 2022, Jara, a 54-year-old grandmother and rubber tapper, was reported missing by her family when she didn't return home from work one evening. I shouldn't say one evening, it was fucking October 23rd. There you go. She lived in the Jambi province and had gone to work on a rubber plantation that morning, never returning home afterwards. By the evening, her family grew very concerned. So her husband headed out to search for her, and eventually he discovered ominous clues. He discovered a cache of her belongings left at the plantation, including items like her headscarf, sandals, her jacket, and her rubber tapping tools. So locals quickly organized a search party to look for her, but to no avail. So as darkness grew across the land, they were forced to suspend the search for the evening. After all, the jungles of Sumatra contained powerful predators like tigers and big-ass snakes. The following morning on the 24th, the search party headed out to look for more indications of what may have happened to Jara. Then they discovered, next to the spot where her belongings lay, a little hope, or perhaps in their minds. The security team and residents conducted a search around the rubber plantation. Then they found a python, measuring 22.9 feet long. That's about 7 meters. It is the snake that was suspected of preying upon the victim in the search, said local news. After police caught him, they found the victim's body inside the snake's stomach nearly intact. So sadly, she was eaten by a fucking python. What a way to go. And of course, we know large snakes uh, don't typically just eat their victims whole alive. No, no, no. Instead, they use constriction before they consume their prey. Snake bites proved to be far more frequent with an estimated 5.4 million per year. And of these bites, the World Health Organization reports that roughly 2 to 3 million lead to the need for envenoming, and between 81,000 and 138,000 cases end in death. Holy fucking cow. But it seems Jara's sad fate is rare, but by no means without precedent. 
On the island of Sulawesi, a farmer's body was discovered and a suspicious bulge of a python's belly back in 2017. And in 2018, a woman on the island of Muna met a similar fate. Although reticulated pythons typically subsist on small to medium-sized animals like rats, scientists have observed something unique and terrifying about the large ones. Once they reach a certain size, it's almost like they don't bother with rats anymore because the calories aren't sufficient. So they go after larger prey, and sometimes they will eat pigs and cows and the occasional human being if they come across one. It's said, though, that sometimes tables do get turned on these massive reptiles. Back in 2017, Robert Nababin killed a 26-foot-long python in Sumatra's Batdangansal district along the plantation road. Nababan sustained a series of injuries during the assault from the serpent, but fortunately, a group of local villagers helped him escape tragic fate similar to that of Jarha. In the aftermath of the attack, the python was butchered, fried, and eaten by members of the village in total reverse fortunes. Fuck yeah, dude. I want to eat snake sometime. Yeah. Tastes like chicken. Have you had snake before? Uh, I've had snake jerky, and it tastes like chicken. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'd assume like grilled snake, fried snake. I mean, it's got to taste the same, right? (laughs) Pretty much, pretty much. Well, shifting gears here just a little bit, Presto. First, I have to ask you before we do our last story. Have you and Jeffrey been to any national parks? Sure, sure, yeah. No, all good, man. Small Tater National Parks, that's adorable. Yeah, same here, man. I can't think of too many off the top of my head. I've been to the smaller redwoods in California, um, several places in Colorado. We we did the Manitou Incline hike while we were there a couple years ago. So you're familiar then, if you go to a national park, they've got the typical warning signs. They're pretty common. Don't litter, stay on the path, don't leave the trail, and don't feed the bears. So on and so forth, right? Yeah. Well, recently it seems that national parks have had to add a new warning sign simply saying, Stop licking the toads. Mm. The U.S. National Park Service made a plea last week to help protect the Sonoran Desert Toad, which secretes a toxin unlike any other found on the planet. The effects of the toxin depend on your perspective. Some call it a dangerous poison that can make people get sick and even die, Others, though, call it the God Molecule, a hallucinogenic so potent it's often compared to a religious experience. Now, before I go any farther, Pixelated Paranormal does not condone the licking of any reptile, unsolicited or not. So the National Park is now saying, maybe keep your tongues off the toads that you find in the National Parks or anywhere else. So similar to our belief. There you go. Yeah. As we say with most things you come across in the National Park, whether it be a banana slug, unfamiliar mushrooms, or a large toad with glowing eyes in the dead of night, please refrain from licking anything, says the National Park Facebook. Demand for the toad secretion has boomed in recent years, with the growing retreat industry serving those seeking psychedelic experiences. 
In some cases, the experience is treated like a ceremony, with participants paying hundreds or thousands of dollars to partake in the secretions. It typically lasts about 15 to 30 very, very intense minutes. Again, we are not condoning or telling you to go lick any kind of reptile or anybody else. Licking the toads is not the way most people go about it, though, because a substance in the toxins the toad secretes when threatened is very similar to 5-MeO-DMT, which can be dried into crystals and smoked in a pipe. It's actually illegal in the United States where it's classified as a Schedule I controlled substance. However, it is supposedly legal in Mexico. It's not so clear how often people have tried to actually lick the belly of a toad, but the National Park Service did not immediately respond to a request for comment. But smoking the toxin, commonly called 5 or bufo, is a practice that goes back for decades. Rising interest in the experience has brought on new dangers to the animal especially, which is also known as the Colorado River Toad, and is found primarily in the Sonoran Desert in the southwestern United States and northwestern parts of Mexico. They're typically targeted by predators like raccoons and run over on roads, but they are now also targeted by poaching, over-harvesting, and even illegal trafficking. People collect the substance by stroking under the toad's chin, initiating a defense response. Then the released substance can be scraped, dried, and smoked. Kind of like on Futurama, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Family Guy, too, I think, maybe, yeah. Yeah, so guys, leave the toads alone. Don't go licking poor little toads. Don't lick their little tummies. That's kind of gross. Yeah, I'd, I'd point out that, um, so, in... Indigenous people that have lived in the area for centuries, they they mm-hmm. have a process that um, they have perfected. Mm-hmm. So preparing the substance and knowing which toads to use and which toads not to use, like they weren't going and having a religious ceremony and licking a fucking toad. So the, the, the natural secretion itself is more toxic. Whereas mm-hmm. if you properly prepare it and go through the process, um, you know, maybe add it to tobacco leaves and things like that, you're toning it down and you're making it more safe. But here's like my big thing, like people nowadays, it's like we like, ooh, peyote, ooh, DMT, ooh, mushrooms, ooh, this. Like you're fucking doing it to get high for getting high's sake. Whereas mm-hmm. this and those cultures had a religious connotation. So it was an actual like ceremony. There was purpose behind it. So doing this, uh, basically you got a better understanding of the universe. So if you said, Hey, let's go on a peyote retreat. And then there's this place and you and I are like going through the whole ceremony and doing it all proper. Like I'm totally down. Um, you know, it's like, uh, the, the, uh, what is it in Peru where, um, Oh, what's that tea that they drink that... Um, ayahuasca? Yeah. I would go on an ayahuasca retreat. But if you're just like, dude, I want to get fucked up this week and you want to like lick a toad with me, go get bent. Like you're, you're going about it the <laughs> wrong way. You have the wrong mindset. And it, it's... I, I just wish people had more respect for the culture and, uh, you know, the religious experience that those those people were trying to perfect. Yeah. that's That's my dad rant. Sorry. 
<laughs> hey, no, you're fine. I'll piggyback on top of that, man. Um, I read a story not too long ago, and I know we've talked about tetrodotoxin before, but, you know, there is that puffer, uh, puffer fish. And I forget if the puffer fish itself is called fugu puffer fish or the type of sushi that you prepare with the uh, puffer is called fugu sushi. But there are puffer, uh, puffer, puffer fish that when you cook them, I guess you don't cook them, when you prepare them in a sushi or a sashimi, um, you have to get the right type of sushi chef. But when they cut the meat, they get just the tiniest little piece that has a tiniest little bit of that tetrodotoxin on it. So as you're eating that sushi, you get this really wicked buzz. But the problem is, if the chef doesn't know what he's doing or what she's doing, um, then they can get too much poison and literally fucking poison you with the fugu sushi. So there's been stories of people who have eaten it and then had cardiac arrests only to rise back awake in the middle of a morgue. Um, there are even stories of some kind of, I think it was a Japanese um, president or some kind of government official who ate it and he was dead for like two or three days and then he woke back up. And in reality, the toxin doesn't actually kill you. You're not a zombie, but it slows down your heart rate and your blood, you know, from pumping very fast to where it goes just enough to keep the blood flowing, just enough to keep you alive. But then you wake back up and you're really dazed and confused. But yeah, that's often a trip that people chase as well with this fugu sashimi is just getting that little, uh, little puffer fish buzz, but just a dabble do you. And if your chef doesn't know what they're doing, then they could literally fucking kill you. In some mm -hmm. places, you have to sign a waiver. <laughs> I would uh, hope the waiver would be like if, like the you know the Stephen of the Japanese culture is picking your body up, like and they knew <laughs> that you ate, you ate this puffer fish that they'd yeah. be like, all right, we're just gonna leave the body here for like four days, and after four days, if it doesn't wake up, then we'll then we'll go ahead and perform the rites. Uh, so we'll give it a chance. You never know. Yeah. Well, I want to do some more episodes about death because you have, I forget what they're called, but basically they were like little bells attached to strings in your coffin. And if yeah. you died and woke back up, you could put a little ding, 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 I'm not dead in here. Yeah, because uh, there were uh, in the mid to late 1800s, there were like um, cases like uh, seizures and comas were becoming more common. So you'd actually mm -hmm. have people that they thought were dead, and then um, you have grave robbers that, um, you know, the times were hard, so they dig up the bodies to see if there's any jewels or anything in it. And they're yeah, like, oh, holy yeah. fuck, like, this person's like, why the fuck are there scrape marks on uh, the inside of this coffin? Right. And so eventually enough word went around that they're like, maybe they're not dead. Because we didn't, we didn't embalm people back then. <laughs> So right, right. they're like, all right, I mean, it could be vampire, could not be vampire. Let's be on the safe side about it. Jerry, I want you to put a little bell. And, uh, you know, the grave grave digger, as they're walking around, if they hear a little ding-a-ding-ding, -ding, uh, they'll go check it out and see what's going on. And uh, in some cases, it was uh, more common to do, like, glass coffins because you could actually, mm -hmm. the as the cemetery, the uh, sexton, would walk around their their shift at night. Um, they could actually look in and actually check on the bodies, and if they saw signs, they could open up the glass coffin. So there is an era of history where um, you would have mausoleums and glass coffins just for that very nature. Damn. It wasn't because people were sick and wanted to look at fucking dead bodies. It was like, I don't know if they're dead. 
Science bit. is not quite science yet, so <laughs> yeah. uh, let's figure this out. Uh, science with a lowercase s. Yeah. Well, Presto, as it turns out, we're not leaving listeners empty-handed on this episode because today is a very special anniversary. Today, Tuesday, November 8th, as a matter of fact, is the 64th anniversary of the Riverside Monster Sighting in California, also known as the Riverside Encounter. Now, I know the name is very vague because the monster itself is very bizarre and it's not seen too often, but this particular event happens to be in a book I have called The Inhumanoids, Real Encounters with Beings That Can't Exist by Barton M. Nunley. So on Saturday, November 8th, 1958, an unusual accident occurred in Riverside, California. A nightmarish creature reportedly leaped on the front of a car driven by a Mr. Charles Wetzel, 24-year-old male, near the point where North Main Street crosses the Santa Ana River. He said it had a round, scarecrowish head. Something like out of Halloween. It wasn't human, and it had longer arms, longer than anything I'd ever seen. When it saw me in the car, it reached all the way across the hood and began scraping its fingernails across my windshield, clawing, trying to get at me. It didn't have any ears, the face was all round, and the eyes were shining like something fluorescent, and it had a protuberant mouth. It was scaly, but the scales looked more like leaves hanging from the body. Wetzel made it out of the encounter with nothing more than some scratches on the windshield and a case of extremely raw nerves. Now, Fordian investigator and author Lauren Coleman was able to interview Wetzel back in 1982, during which a more detailed account of the encounter and the creature itself had emerged. And so, from mysterious America, here is the rest of the story. Charles Wetzel, born July 8, 1934, was driving his green two-door 1952 Buick Super near Riverside, California, when he saw what he calls it. Saturday, November 8, 1958, as a night Charlie told me he would soon not forget. He even remembers the radio station KFI Los Angeles as he tuned it in. Wetzel neared the part of the North Main Street where Santa Ana River frequently overflows its banks, and sure enough, at this spot, where the road dips down, water was rushing across the pavement, and so Charles slowed down. Oddly enough, the radio frequency began to come in and out. Within moments, he was struck by two sensory events which caught him completely off guard. First of all, his car radio started to transmit lots of static, fading in and out. He began to change his stations, but to no avail. Next, he said he saw what he thought was temporarily a danger sign near the flooded site, standing near six feet tall. Before he could think twice about any of this, though, Charles Wetzel saw a six-foot-tall creature bound across his field of vision and then stop in front of his Buick. The creature had a round, scarecrow-like head, like something out of Halloween. 
He described it then and later to me as having no ears, no nose, and a beak-like protuberant mouth with fluorescent shining eyes, and the skin was scaly like tree leaves, but definitely were not feathers. The creature was waving sort of funnily with his incredibly long arms and seemed to be walking from the hips, almost like it had no knees. Wetzel then remembered another detail that he had not noted originally. The legs stuck out from the sides of the torso, not from the bottom. The gurgling sound it made were mixed with high-pitched screams and low-pitched gurgles. When it saw Wetzel, it reached across the hood and began clawing at its windshield. So terrified, Wetzel grabbed his twenty-two high-standard pistol that he kept in the car because he was oftentimes on the road late at night. Clutching the gun, but not wanting to break the barrier he had between himself and the beast, he decided not to shoot out the windshield, but instead step on the gas. Wetzel said, Screeching like a motherfucker, he said. The creature tumbled forward off the hood of the car and onto the road, soon to be ran over by the car. Wetzel could hear it scrape the pan underneath the car and the engine, and later police lab tests would reveal that something large had indeed scrubbed the grease from the Buick's underside. The police used bloodhounds to search for the area, but the dogs found nothing, so officers were left empty-handed only with sweeping claw marks on Wetzel's windshield for them to ponder. Then the very next night, a black something or other jumped out underneath near the same site and frightened another motorist. <laughs> it's probably this creature covered in this guy's motor oil. Since nothing was later found at the site, it might be presumed that the scaly and humanoid survived the incident as well, especially considering the fact a similar creature was then later seen at the same area just a few years later near Corona. On a warm spring night, teenagers Dave Wilson and Tom McKevley had decided to take a shortcut through the lemon groves above Corona. They were late for an engagement, there was a full moon out, and they were just going along at a pretty good clip when Dave thought he saw something ahead of them, so he brought their truck to a stop. The two teens climbed out and the dust settled around them, flashing the spotlight in the general direction throughout the trees. They noticed movement and aimed the light in an area that was about 75 feet in front of them. Then, to their utter shock, a huge creature covered in shaggy gray hair emerged from the trees. This thing must have been nine feet tall, Dave would later say. It had a scarecrow-like head, round, really round, it didn't have a neck, but it did have these really gaping, bulging eyes. Its front teeth were pointed outward like it had some kind of beak, and then there were something like claws coming from the hands. The creature made some sort of metallic screech, and it seemed to lurch off to one side, but then it came straight for them. The teenager scrambled back into the vehicle and rammed it into reverse and peeled out, coming to a spinning stop about 70 yards away. As the dust settled, they glanced in the rearview mirror, and Dave saw the same creature, eyes bulging, still coming at them at a bizarre speed. It extended these long, long arms and reached for the tailgate of the pickup. Dave yelled, It's on us! It's on us! And he slammed down the gas pedal, disappearing into the night at breakneck speed. 
The next day, Dave and Tom and another friend returned to the scene to look around for the creature. They knew that without evidence to support the outrageous claim, nobody would believe the story. The three of them found one large single footprint, about one inch deep in the ground. It was around 18 inches long and about 7 inches wide, and showed very clearly three long toes, slightly pointed at the tip. When the boys, who feared the safety of the general public, took their story to the police, two police officers accompanied the youth back to the site a short time later to study the solitary footprint. They told the teens that it was some kind of fake and they had been a victim of a practical joke, and instead to shake it off and just go home. Now they did this indeed. They shook it off for about a year when Dave, along with another friend, would see the same creature out on a dirt road just south of Chase Drive, out amongst the living groves. It had a pushed-up nose and clawed hands. Dave immediately reported it to the authorities. It also left the area permeated with a pungent odor like dead animals. By now, the vicinity had become a hotbed of UFO activity and also bizarre creature sightings and Henry Leppard, a reporter for the Corona Daily Independent, began running a string of articles about high strangeness going on amongst the lemon groves. This continued until one day, two policemen paid him a visit. Afterwards, he was downed on the whole business, and then wrote no more of any paranormal activity in the area. So it sounds to me like, presto, there's some paranormal hijinks amongst the lemon groves. Mm-hmm. The creature that these people saw sounds a lot like the Dover Demon that was sighted by William Bartlett back in April 21st, 1977. But anyway, what's interesting here is Charles Wetzel, the kid from the first story, wouldn't be the only person by that same name to see something of the supernatural. Coincidentally, oddly enough, on July 28th of the same year, 1958, a completely different guy by the name of Charles Wetzel witnessed a deer-like creature chasing some of his dogs out by his cabin on the Platte River, right next to Grand Island, Nebraska. When this Charles Wetzel, a 70-year-old male, approached about 10 yards away from his dogs being chased by this strange monster, he realized it was no deer, but instead he was witnessing, in Nebraska, of all places, his dog's being terrorized by a giant kangaroo. <laughs> as soon as the creature noticed Wetzel, it turned around and bounded away off into the alfalfa fields, making over 10-foot-long leaps out into the tall alfalfa. Now, this man, Charles Wetzel, happened to be the owner and operator of a local beer brewery in Grand Island. So, to celebrate the sighting, which he had a hard time forgetting and began to have a strange obsession with, he named one of his beers Wetzel Kangaroo Beer and sold it for several years until it went out of production. Huh. Yeah. What a fun coincidence, right? <laughs> yeah. I typed in Charles Wetzel encounter into the old Google machine and came up with tons of stuff about the main story of this guy finding basically the albino pumpkin head. And then another couple websites dinged a Charles Wetzel beer enthusiast who made a kangaroo beer based off a strange encounter he had back in 1958. 
Now, apparently you can find pictures of these labels on eBay, but so far it's pretty hard apparently to find them, but... A dingo took my baby. <laughs> right. So this um, this story kind of reminds me there are reports of, like, lizard-slash-snake people in the Black Mountains in mm-hmm. Australia mm-hmm. where, um, you know, they're very tall, I don't know, reptilioid, human-like combobulations. And then in uh, <laughs> India... There is one village. I think I, I, I've i never deep dove this story. I just remember there was like one of those weird history channel unsolved mysteries where um, they were just like talking about it. So you had this village in India where they have a, a well and um, nobody like – it used to be like a watering well where they get water out of it. And then I don't know for like a thousand years like it dried out. And then they have a guard, so, like, every night you have one person in the village whose job is to guard this well. Like, even to this day, like, somebody with, like, a sword and a shotgun stands guard over this well. And there are reports that, like, if kids try to sneak down in there, when you get to the bottom of the well, there is, a like, a door. And if uh, that door ever opens, that leads into the subterranean world of the reptilians. And uh-huh. there are, like, claw marks on the cave walls, like, all this weird shit. And I'm just like, I don't know, maybe I'd go. I'd go investigate. I'd give it a shot. Give me one of them three-barrel shotguns. I'd, I'd fucking I'd take it on. And a snake bite kit, because I'm only kissing your ass once. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, I've been um, compiling some articles and stories about, you know, bizarre subterranean encounters that we got to do an episode or two on. And I know several, several years ago, we did a show based off of a book I bought called Paranormal Experiences of Eurasia. And we talked about, like, the weird um, star monsters in the sewers over in, like, Germany and all this other stuff. And um, I'd like to give that one a redux as well and maybe cover that and some other bizarre, you know, um, subterranean humanoid encounters because that shit is completely fascinating Mm -hmm. to me. Because, again, like, we have the idea that underwater, you know, it's like a whole different planet. We've only discovered, like, what, 2 5% of the overall, you know, underwater areas on Earth. The subterranean is just as fucking scary, man. Mammoth Cave alone goes across almost the entire fucking U.S. I mean, if you Google, like, cave systems across the United States and you Mm -hmm. actually get, like, sonar imaging of the cave systems just in the United States alone and how much land space that actually is, how deep they go, like, we, I would give it the same mathematical statistics of we've explored 1% of the underground caverns (laughs) just in the United States, right? Now you start considering the rest of the world. And then you have, like, the underwater cave systems that stretch even further. Fuck, dude. It's like God knows what's out there. That's why you never find Bigfoot. It's because those fuckers take the bodies and, like, drag them back to the caves and bury them. Yeah, or they eat them either way. Yeah, you know. Well, that's definitely on the docket then, man. If we don't get to it by the end of the year, let's start 2023 up with um, underwater subterranean monsters and shit. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, you got anything else to add to this one, buddy? No, that was it. My only other, like, as you were telling the story about uh, the giant anaconda, like, eating people, that's another mm-hmm. topic I'd like to deep dive. 
um, because there are <laughs> tales of um, in like India, uh, the Amazon. Not so much like giant snakes in the Amazon as much as like giant fucking spiders in the Amazon. So there are reports of like basketball size or like golden retriever size spiders coming out of the forest in the Amazon. In India, you have reports of like, you know, a 20 foot king cobra that's got the head, the, you know, size of a small car that they're just like huge. And, you know, biologists and zoologists say like technically that's not possible but uh, there are other scientists over the last couple of years that have come forward and said, hey, like, dinosaurs are the biggest hoax. I don't think people realize this. The dinosaurs are, like, the biggest hoax that modern-day science have tried to, like, tell us. And I'm like, oh, God, this is, like, flat Earth. I'm uh-huh. strapping in for this. And then, like, they go through it. And I'm like, oh, fuck, you guys actually make sense because <laughs> in – Our modern world, like, so if you think geologically, the Earth in the last 5,000, 8,000, you know, 10,000 years hasn't changed that much. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at the timeline and you think the gravity of the Earth hasn't changed, that these creatures, the size of these bones that we're digging up, that they wouldn't be able to be alive, even if the oxygen levels were higher um, you know, 15,000 years ago, the gravity of the earth, if it hasn't changed from what it is today, that those creatures wouldn't be able to survive. Um, they wouldn't be able to pick their bodies up, um, their blood, they'd have so much force on them that, um, their lungs, because of the, how big their bodies were, their blood or their heart couldn't pump blood through their body. So mm-hmm. for dinosaurs to actually exist, that meant that at one point in time, the actual gravity of the earth was lighter. And that's what allowed these creatures, because of the bone density and everything, allowed them to be as big as they were. And so now it's trying to pinpoint when did the gravity of the earth shift? Like, what would have happened? Well, you, you know, you had the earth-changing event where um, down off the coast of Mexico, the dinosaur killer, like, so that went in and took out chunks of rock and spit everything into outer space. And then if you look at the end of the last ice age, um, there were basically this ongoing idea that there was a huge cataclysmic event that wiped out like a massive amount of species, caused global flooding, and at that point slowly started changing the gravity. And so if you go back 2,000 years ago in India and had reports of these like, you know, 40-foot long huge fucking basculus size Harry Potter snakes. It would make <laughs> yeah. sense because the gravity hadn't changed enough. And you know, regardless of the oxygen levels of the gravity hadn't changed enough that these creatures could have gotten that big. And then, um, you know, now they're slowly starting to shrink. And so that's why you're seeing less and less reports because now their bodies aren't able to survive, and so evolution is kicking in, and they're getting smaller and smaller. So I'm like, fuck, uh, you know, you're talking about these giant snakes eating ladies in the, the forest. I'm like, ah, we got to deep dive that more, man. You just thought I was here look, you know, looking at my phone, picking my nose, not listening to you, but I was listening the whole entire time. No, you're good. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing the same thing. I'm yeah. just thinking, like, it's crazy to think that you have snakes with the heads that are the size of fucking Geometros, man. Yeah. Kids, Google Geo Metro the car. <laughs> yeah. Those things are scarce. My grandma had one for a little while. <laughs> 
Well, I think that about does it on this episode of Pixelated Paranormal. If you're on the social medias, please check us out on Instagram at PXLParanormal. You can check me out at Sean Swope, all one word on Instagram. Check us out on the old Facebook, The Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. Presto, what do you got, buddy? What did I say we were at last time, 218? Drum roll, please. Uh, I think 221, maybe? Drum roll, please. 222, we gained one. Fuck what? you. One more in the Yeah, docket. look at one more person. So, look, if uh, you have friends that want to listen to the podcast but don't have an easy revenue to get to us, like uh, they have a crappy Android phone that, uh, you know, there's not a really good, like, Apple podcast Apple's not paying us, but I'm just saying Apple Podcasts is a better product <laughs> to be able to listen to your podcast on. Or maybe they're just a little bit on the older population. They're like the village elder, and uh, they don't understand Stitcher or you know Pandora. And mm-hmm. easy revenue, because I'm here to tell you folks, my 80-year-old mother has just discovered YouTube within the last couple weeks, and she can search YouTube videos on her own. So every day I come home, I'm like, Mom, what the fuck have you been doing? And she's watching, like, cooking shows. She's got yeah. some lady that she follows now that she subscribed to on my fucking YouTube page of uh, <laughs> uh, a Ubekistan lady cooking out in the, you know, the forest and crap. And, and so yeah. if my mom at her age can figure out YouTube, then your folks and grandparents can figure out YouTube. And what better way yeah. to get them into the know than to have them to s- subscribe to the Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. Yeah. I'd also yeah. like to say, um, in true spirit of the show, you said the word revenue. I think the word you're looking for is avenue. Avenue. There you go. Fuck, you know. <laughs> yeah. If you don't have the revenue, it's just a free show. Yeah. <laughs> unless, you, unless you've been profiting all these years. Uh... <laughs> tomato, tomato, you know. Oh, uh, that's why I love you. Yeah. If you need a beard, if you want a beard, if you want to grow a beard that uh, will be about the width and the size of a metro... <laughs> then uh, you should check out BigDobsBeardBomb.com and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order. And that giant, giant man mame that you have going on will thank you with scents like Bay Rum, Dundee, Sweeter, Fresh, Citrus, Mint, Tobacco, and Classic. And if you're in the Wichita area, please stop by and see our dear friend Leslie and the rest of the gang, CD Trade Post, Pawnee and Seneca. And on behalf of Big Steven, I'd like to say cheers to the weird shit in the world and those of us who love to talk about it. And stay spooky and stay on the paranormal highway. The cast that Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.